huge, massive, enormous content and spoiler warning. I'm going to be talking about Game of Thrones, which contains adult themes, and there will be spoilers about the show and the books. You have been warned. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people where this podcast is recorded. Today I'm going to be starting something big and exciting for me, economics and Game of Thrones. This has been something I've wanted to do since the beginning of this podcast, and I finally have enough content to get going. This series is going to be a lot of fun, and there is so much in this story that it could honestly go on forever. I'll be exploring different economic theories that appear within the story and making comparisons to real-life events and scenarios wherever relevant. Even more fun, given that the books or the show hasn't been completed yet, I'm going to make predictions where I can based on past events. Today I will be starting with a very fundamental economic theory, and that is business cycles. But instead of looking at the business cycles of Westeros and Essos, I have discovered a magic cycle. So let's get into it. A business cycle is first and foremost a series of cycles of economic expansion and contraction. If you can picture a chart, Google one, or head over to cavegoblins.com to see one, it looks like a long wavy line moving from peak to trough, with every peak and every trough being a bit higher each time, much like in the logo of this show, credit to Doug Vandalay there. On the vertical y-axis is usually real growth in gross domestic product the main way we measure an economy, and on the horizontal axis is time. If you want to have a look at a real business cycle with real data, a really easy way to do this is head to databank.worldbank.org and go from there. This is an amazing data library that is completely free to use. So now that we know what a business cycle shows and what it looks like, we can get into what is likely to be happening in an economy during each of the four phases. So we'll start at the top, otherwise known as the peak. During a peak, the economy is at full employment. Unemployment is low and inflation is high as there are lots of jobs and therefore a lot of income floating around. Investment will be high and government spending should be low if the government is fiscally responsible. Basically, the economy is booming and doesn't need any external support to maintain itself. Times are great. Eventually, the peak of a boom will end and the economy will head into a downturn before it reaches its trough. During a downturn, unemployment will start to rise and inflation will fall as there are fewer jobs and less income floating around. Investment will temper and governments may start to increase their level of spending in the economy. Some of this increased spending will happen automatically as automatic stabilizers, such as welfare, start to rise and some of the spending may be on specific projects as well. Once the downturn or the decline in economic growth has happened for two quarters in a row, the economy is technically in a trough, more commonly known as a recession. Now, while this is the technical definition of a recession, two quarters of negative growth, I had a professor at uni who disagreed with this and felt that a rise in unemployment was a better indicator of recession. Anyway, the exact opposite of a peak, a recession will have high unemployment and low inflation, very low investment, and there should be higher levels of government spending to help stimulate the economy. Once the economy starts to be stimulated well and it sticks, an upturn is entered that would see unemployment start to fall, inflation start to rise, investment will start increasing, and a tapering off of government spending until it reaches its peak. 
So that is the business cycle at a basic level. There are obviously a wealth of other economic indicators that can be used to measure this cycle, but I'm not here to talk about them in detail. I just wanted to give a simple understanding of what a business cycle is so we can apply it to the Game of Thrones world using magic instead of gross domestic product. Like the real world, magic experiences the ebb and flow of a business cycle, rising and falling, strengthening and weakening, even seeming to have disappeared altogether at times. So let's go through this and take a look at what happens to magic through each phase in Westeros and Essos. The most obvious indicator, I think, that this world is at or is nearing the top of a magic cycle has to be the presence of full-grown dragons. When dragons are around, magic of all kinds becomes stronger. There is a very strong positive correlation between dragons and all kinds of magic. We see Bran able to become a warg, something completely new to him. White walkers return to the north. The Night King specifically grows stronger and stronger and now has an undead dragon of his own. The Alchemist Guild claims spells required in the creation of wildfire have begun to work better and more efficiently than they have in many years, among much more that I will break down. So the age of Valyria, beginning some 8,000 years before Aegon's conquest, is arguably when magic entered the worlds in a significant way, reaching its first ever peak. Though magic had existed beyond the wall in the north for a long time, Valyrians used magic in new and powerful ways. For starters, they were able to use magic to tame and bond with dragons, first found in the 14 flames, an immense chain of volcanoes extending across the neck of the peninsula. Using dragon's fire and most likely blood magic, the people of Valyria were able to forge Valyrian steel. Knowing that Valyrian steel is the product of magic and that it can kill White Walkers, I am of the opinion that this is a magical artifact. Using magic that was also amplified by the presence of dragons, the Valyrian people were able to gain control over the area and build cities that towered high into the sky where dragons soared, unable to be achieved with mortal means. This time is truly when magic began to rise and hit a peak in this world. Skipping ahead to now, some 300 years after Aegon's conquest and the Targaryen dynasty, dragons are back. Daenerys Targaryen, a daughter of Ares and Rayla, finds herself able to walk into piping hot bathtubs and enter a fire without being burnt, not because she is flame resistant, but because of magic. She hatches three dragons, the first in over 200 years, and when this happens, the strength of magic is boosted across all corners of the globe. The warlocks of Karth's House of the Undying started being able to pull rabbits out of hats and unlink metal circles again. Maggie the Frog was able to predict twice the number of infant deaths. The Night's King appears to grow stronger as the dragons themselves grow and as they get closer and closer to Westeros. For example, in the shows, in Season 4, he is able to convert a single baby from living to undead by laying just a fingernail on its cheek. In Season 5, he only had to slowly raise both arms and an entire bay of corpses awoke. And then, significantly, in Season 7, he just touches a dead dragon, a massive animal, turning it into a white. So it is very evident that both the presence and strength of magic grows with the presence and growth of the dragons themselves. Some other indicators that show the upturn in the magic cycle, well there is obviously Bran becoming a greenseer and warg. He loses the use of his legs in the very beginning of the show and the Game of Thrones era. His greenseer, a type of magic that allows you to look into the past, future and present, making you very much an omniscient being, and warg sense, 
the ability to walk into other animals and take control of their minds begin to kick in. This happens alongside Daenerys receiving dragon's eggs, recovered from old Valeria as a wedding gift, and gets stronger again as the dragons grow, but also as he moves further into the north to find the three-eyed raven, another significant magical character in the world, who Bran will eventually become. A little bit of forecasting, based on what we know of Bran, magic, and the world, maybe he will be able to use his magical abilities to walk into a dragon and kill a bunch of white walkers. This would, economic cycle aside, be a pretty cool thing to watch or read about. Another indicator, a warlock from Karth, who can use illusions to immerse people, wants to more or less capture Daenerys and her dragons, so his magic can be stronger by feeding off them, again showing the critical importance of a dragon within a magic cycle. So what about blood magic? Well, blood magic is something that is practiced even when magic is in a downfall or a trough. It seems to be more connected to culture and religion, but does gain strength again as dragons re-enter the world. The correlation or relationship is so significant. Two notable events. In the east, Miri Mazdur brings Khal Drogo back from the dead, sacrificing his horse. He comes back basically brain dead. Now, there were no dragons around at this time, but the eggs were there and Danny did feel a connection to them, so it's hard to say whether life actually existed within them. And if this presence did anything to bolster Miri's strength. We can only speculate. Something I want to point out is that this act by Miri led Danny to smother Drogo and walk into the fire to hatch the dragon's eggs. It's kind of like this inkling of magic created more stronger magic in the region and other surroundings. So if we put it in the context of a cycle, we can argue that there was no or very little magic around, a trough before the dragons were born, and perhaps these actions were the upturn that leads to a peak. Whether this was done intentionally or not, isn't really relevant to the cycle. The other prominent user of blood magic in Westeros is of course Melisandre, a red priestess of the Lord of the Light. She believes that Stannis Baratheon is the prince who was promised to save the world from a darkness predicted to set in and take over all life. After King Robert dies, many men name themselves as king and enter open rebellion against the crown, headed by Joffrey Baratheon. She uses king's blood from one of Robert's bastards and leeches, burning them in flames and sets curses against the three other kings who have an army and have made a claim to the throne. The question is, did they work? King Robert Stark dies in the very next episode, killed at what is now known as the Red Wedding. King Joffrey also dies within four episodes, but King Baylor holds it out for another two seasons until he dies in the shows. Was this to do with magic becoming stronger in the presence of dragons? Maybe. Or maybe these characters were so high profile that they were going to die anyway. Their deaths were also plotted with great detail and care by their respective enemies, so it is hard to say. I wouldn't consider this to be a very strong indicator of magic given the surrounding circumstances. I definitely don't believe that the curses were what caused the deaths, but perhaps there was some very small correlation between the events. If this were reality, there would be huge statistical problems using it to try and forecast anything. So Melisandre's use of magic is definitely one of the weaker indicators in this cycle. Now I want to do a bit of forecasting about when the world will reach its magical peak. I think that when Daenerys Targaryen Jon Snow and all of their followers start to forge Valerian steel using maybe dragon's glass, dragon fire, spells, blood magic, whatever it may be, 
to be able to weaponize the world to fight and defeat the Knights King and White Walkers, the absolute peak of this cycle will be reached. From a magic perspective, this really seems to be the time that Valyria was in its element, allowing Aegon to conquer the world as dragons were operating at their full capacity. All of their magic, so all of their resource was employed. Further, when this happens, we can safely assume that all other types of magic will be enhanced, including Bran's walking abilities and Melisandre's powers, among others, all on the side of saving human life. Yes, the magical abilities of the Night's King will also be enhanced at this time, but he too is an important piece of the magic cycle. Think also of the real world for a moment. During a peak, an economy is at full employment, meaning all available resources, labour, capital and other are being employed to generate the most output. If they do in fact start producing Valyrian steel, this will not only represent the prime of magic in this world, but someone also has to do it, so there will likely be a lot of people and things working to get this done. Military will likely grow to fight the Night's King, and there is also the potential to sell or trade the steel to folks in Essos, for example, in exchange for money, to pay workers, relieve debts, stimulate the physical economy on the back of the magical economy. It could potentially become a major industry of the region and restructure who is in power. It is all very exciting stuff to anticipate. So that is how I interpret magic from an economic perspective in Game of Thrones, putting it into a cycle. The downturn, of course, will come as dragons are killed. This is what happened in the past. It is believed that the last dragon died 200 years ago, and along with it, all magic in the realm. Well, most magic in the realm. A very limited amount was still present and practiced, but it was weak and this was felt everywhere. Let's hope as fans that this doesn't happen anytime soon, at least not before the peak is reached. But who knows, with all this newfound power and knowledge in the world, and Daenerys' goal to break the wheel, perhaps the historical magical cycle would change. Nobody knows. And in economics, our forecasts are only as good as the information we have. Now I want to talk a little bit about where models like this break down in reality. In Game of Thrones, time is not linear, so it isn't always going to work to try and plot events in a chronological order to follow a magic cycle. For example, I very much subscribe to the fan theory that the Mad King, Daenerys' father, who burned random citizens alive before being stabbed in the back by Jaime Lannister, was doing this because Bran, as the Three-Eyed Raven, was attempting to walk into his mind, telling him to burn all of the dead bodies so they could not be raised as part of the army of the dead. Now this raises problems for a cycle. Do you A, say that magic was only present at the time Bran was attempting to walk into the Mad King, or B, say that this magic was in fact present when it was happening to the Mad King, despite all other indicators pointing towards a magic trough? So that's one example of how it can break down. Second, the wall. Magic has always, always existed beyond the wall, regardless of what is being experienced throughout the rest of the world. The Three-Eyed Raven and the Children of the Forest have been around long before any of the current characters came to existence. They have been practicing magic for more or less eternity. They don't have peaks and they don't have troughs, so the magic cycle does not and will not apply to them. So what do we do now? Well, in economic fashion, we hold them constant or consider them as an exception or outlier of this model. It might seem like cheating, but this is what we do in reality to create models and rules so we can predict what might happen in the future or just explain a scenario. So that is how 
I am interpreting magic cycles in this world as part of the first episode. I think it is definitely one of the most significant themes in the show and it was really interesting to just sort of have a look at it from a more practical standpoint, find out how it would work and then how it just completely falls apart like I just talked about. I do hope you enjoyed it and that the approach I took in this episode actually makes sense. There are so many dots to connect in this universe, so I'll absolutely be doing more episodes like this. I don't know when the next one will be or what the subject matter will be, but I do know there will be more. For those of you who think I got something wrong, please head over to cavegoblins.com where I will link a well actually form I created for this exact purpose. Or feel free to tweet at me at everyeconomics or send me an email economicspodcast at gmail.com. I'm not an expert, so please feel free to call me out. Please rate and review on iTunes as this is the easiest way to support the show. And don't forget to set it to auto-download. For more podcasts, check out other shows, Comedy Zeitgeist, DMs of Vancouver, our new stream, Everyone is Jonas, Podcast vs. Podcast, and Tales of Frost Cricket, which had its first episode come out recently, all on the Cave Goblin Network. Thank you again. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am Talia Murdoch, and this has been Everything Economics. Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favorite comedians talking about their favorite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.